Yeah, I used to be boxing in an acapella group. Wow, that's crazy. And uh, it was a good time. I was kind of like the bad boy of the acapella group. I would show up to rehearsals kind of stoned. Everyone thought I was a problem, but... When yeah, I was in university, I, uh, I hadn't yet really been making music much. I um, remember, in, but my older sister's boyfriend's little brother was in this acapella group on campus. And it was like a cool acapella group. We were doing like Lauren Hill, Fuji's, mm. shouts out Effusion Acapella out of Montreal, out of McGill University. And uh, my sister was like, you should audition. And I was like, I don't really know. I'm not really, like, a music kid. Music kids are fucking nerds. I'm over here mm. rapping and smoking weed. Like, I'm a cool guy, you know? I'm right. a cool guy. I'm selling weed. I'm a, I'm a cool guy. Um, and I w- what, what cool guys do, obviously, play Ultimate Frisbee, right? So I was playing right. a lot of Ultimate Frisbee um, wow. in high school. Uh, we, we had a pretty good team, actually. And everyone doesn't think that's a sport. And I dare you to fucking go play it because it actually is really hard to play. I've played it. You know. You know. Can you my, toss the disc? My aunt was a, an ultimate Frisbee player. She'd travel. My aunt was a She'd Frisbee. she travel around. As, <laughs> really? As pro as you can go that in that sport. That is so cool. She, I love Frisbee. And it's big my team. big uh, tour, like, stress reliever is getting up and tossing the disc in the Walmart parking lot or whatever. Wow. But anyways, I was in college, and I had to choose. I made the B team. I didn't make the A team. Mm-hmm. I made the B team of the ultimate Frisbee. And I had to choose between... Singing and beatboxing in this acapella group, or playing ultimate that was frisbee. The fork in the road for your career, right there. That's <laughs> I where swear, it was. I I actually think that that played a role. And I was like, you know what? I really I do like music, <laughs> and so I got a lot better at singing. Those were the first times I was ever like doing like vocal exercise, warm ups, harmonies, anything like that. And it played it played a role, it played a small role in me becoming the the beatboxing frisbee player you see before. You could have been in the in the national frisbee league. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been really tight. But you you gave it all up. I gave it all up in pursuit of this travesty of a radio show. Yeah. So, dude, thank you for coming here, man. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you. This is episode, I don't know, 75, I think, or episode four, maybe three. Um, Somewhere in that range. I think think this is the seventh one we've recorded, but I don't know in what order they'll come out. This will be episode three. Thank you, Ashley. Um, And basically the premise – I'm going to have to keep doing this until anyone has any familiarity with it. Um, Basically of all of the cool parts of the past two years of touring and and making music, um, my favorite part really was – getting to meet other creative people and not even just uh, musicians, but um, people that are doing divergent work. Um, Every single person that I get to hang with on tour or here in Los Angeles is doing something that at one point in high school or middle school or whatever, we were told you're not allowed to do or you're not supposed to do. Um, So I recognize that I was really lucky in that I had family that was very supportive of that um, decision to drop out of school and make music, um, managers and producers and co-writers to help me get to where I'm going. And what I found that was funny was after having put in all this work and and spending six years in Los Angeles, people that were fans of Grandson were under the impression that I that, that they can't do it and that I could and it had to do with just like being able to kind of waltz into this kind of life. So I wanted to kind of use this opportunity and this platform while I've been off tour to kind of lean into um, my story and people around me to kind of shatter those misconceptions around the path it takes to get here. And maybe in um, talking with people that have done a lot of that work, other people might understand that there, that there is no, permission given that a lot of people that you're a fan of have been doing this for a really long time have struggled with it at times have gotten key advice from mentors all that shit does that make sense yeah that resonates with me hard you know we're we call ourselves dreamers for a reason we're all about uh kind of the power of belief and believing in yourself and yeah it's the same for everyone i think it's the same for me like when you start doing something like music which is considered a pipe dream people who love you will tell you you know, that's not going to work out, bro. They'll try to help you by saying, like, you should have, really have a fallback plan here. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also lucky that my family was super supportive of me. I'm such a, a mama's boy that that might have discouraged me enough if my family wasn't into it. You know, I think about that all the time. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah, I meet a lot of people who would love to do something, whether it's music or something else, and they just never tried because they're just like, that's uh, not realistic, it's a pipe dream, and they just never started. Yeah. I'm like, yo, if you just did it, it just like you'd do anything else, then you can do it. You know, can you it's, give it's us that easy. like that the simple. quick crash course? We don't need the whole Wikipedia bio, but like just a little bit of when you started making music and yeah. when you first started pursuing it full time. <laughs> Were you in any other iterations of bands before Dreamers? I was. Yeah, uh, I grew up playing uh, saxophone. I was of course, definitely a jazz band nerd. Saxophone, beatboxing, <laughs> frisbee—only yeah. cool hat pastimes <clears throat> over over here. Yeah, I remember like late adolescence, kind of pacing around, deciding like, am I gonna, uh, you know, go try to go the safer route and just like get a job, or am I gonna like do this pipe dream of music? And I was like just angsty and depressed enough, and also confident in my own abilities enough to be like, I'm gonna do it because I would rather try and fail than just never have tried. So I kind of started that way. Where did that never... incept into your mind? Like, was that as it was just kind of obvious to you? Like, because yeah. that was a huge thing for me, too, that propelled me was almost I was less focused on how awesome would it be if it worked versus the existential regret right. that would happen if I didn't. Like, it was more it almost was more of this, like, negative emotion, really, that propelled me. It's like mm. I was so terrified of that regret that I felt, like, free to take that shot. And I'm curious if it was similar for you, and, and if so, where do you think it came from? Yeah, I think it was... I remember pacing around at age 18 thinking about this. I don't know if it was... There's definitely both sides. I don't know if it was the more positive, like, dream of, like, that's really what I want, and wouldn't that be badass? And thinking about that life might have been the, the big propeller. But then also, yeah, uh, fear of fear of just being old and looking back at my life and thinking that I was a coward because I just didn't try to do what I really wanted to do. You know, like, I could have tried to be a doctor or a lawyer, and I could have failed at that, too. Mm -hmm. uh, also, I remember working summer job uh, painting houses, mm -hmm. working for my dad, who owns a house painting company, mm -hmm. and just sitting there painting a wall for eight hours, and just the whole time my brain's going, like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. I got to not do this. You know, this is that's hard work. When so, I was beginning to reinvent myself around this kind of grandson identity and start changing the kind of music I was making and 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 start moving in this new direction um I remember I I had this meeting with my manager who's still my manager four years later mm. and uh one of the things that really resonated with me most because I had already signed a record deal um put out a little bit of music under a different name under a different pseudonym I was uh I felt like I was doing everything right out of a scarcity mentality because I was in university. I was in college when I first had somebody in Los Angeles hit me up about potentially moving to L.A. and making music, whatever. So I kind of just latched on to that person as they had – I was just drowning in the middle of the ocean of my life. Yeah. And someone came by and threw me like a, a life preserver and basically said – hey, you could maybe make music. You could be like the Beastie Boys. You could be like Eminem. Like, you're a white guy that likes rapping. Come with us. And um, in all fairness to them, I didn't really have a clear identity. They just recognized that there was, like, the potential for, for me and what I was doing. But yeah. I really found myself, all the decisions I were making were around, I don't want that guy to, to give up on me. Because if he... Um, doesn't want to keep writing the checks, the... Mm -hmm. the, the, the then what do I have? And then I'm going to have to go back to Toronto. I'm going to be a failure. I'm going to live in my parents' basement. And um, so I had been making a lot of decisions to do with my own life, my own artistic journey, my own identity. We're being made around these other, these other people in my life to try to just keep it going. Yeah. I met that manager, and he said something that sounded similar to what you just said, which is that basically you can do everything right and still fail. Um, yeah. because in us kind of recapping the last two years of my life, which really hadn't amounted to anything, I had run out of money. I had no real opportunities. All my friends were finally graduating, getting their undergrad degrees and seemingly on a trajectory to being functioning human beings. Yeah. And I was still just getting high all day, every day, convinced that I'm like one song away. Mm -hmm. And, uh, in recapping what had happened to my life, 
and what hadn't. Um, he helped me understand that I didn't really make any decisions that were wrong on the path. I, I couldn't understand, like, why isn't this happening for me? I, they right, asked right. me to be this kind of artist, and I was. They asked me to try to the same you know the way that everyone's talking about tiktok right now and being like you need to be on tiktok that's how it was for me and vine i remember trying to make a vine and almost having a nervous breakdown because it was so (laughs) not me me being like what's up god i was like who am i doing this for nobody's paying attention yet i have no fans so who the fuck am i talking to um but in him helping me understand you can do everything right and still fail it freed me to just make decisions based on what I fuck with and what I love doing. So that's so hard. And you can't really be taught that. I think that it's one of those things you kind of got to go through. So I'm always curious when and how other people had that realization in their lives, I guess. Yeah. I think you kind of have to be willing to, to go broke doing it. You have to just be like, I have this mentality that, you know, even if I never made a dime, like I could find a way to live and make music and I would still be happy doing that. You Mm -hmm. know, like, yeah, I wanted to take it, to the moon and be a huge rock star and sell out stadiums but any any kind of step on that trajectory you know as long as I did something and as long as I felt like I was really true to myself then I would have been happy with that you know and that and you have to know that you could totally fail but just not care and not yeah. make a plan b and like you said the people around you that you don't want to let down that's probably the biggest thing that keeps me going like I've made a lot of bold claims to people and a lot of people have believed in me and invested in me people that I love so I'm like at the end of the day I just want to walk back to them and be like check it out I killed it I did a good job you know yeah you know I find it kind of confusing like the 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 rhetoric with which I I too subscribe to the kind of ethos of the dreamers which is you know these grandkids these fan whatever this community is we can think bigger we can be anything and i think that that also has to do with both of our involvements in the progressive movement and using our music to express that which we'll get into after but um sometimes i really struggle with you know i remember one time i got on twitter and i was just in in this like feeling really good about it about everything that had happened to me recently and i think i had just gotten like a sick tour opportunity or something mm-hmm. and i just hopped on twitter i was like if you fucking try it will happen like right. you will get what you want and i remember somebody commented like what about all of us that that actually objectively won't happen for um how do you reconcile that and that was actually kind of kind of scary for me like I, I'm I'm I've been struggling to refocus and reframe that language of pursuing what you love and pursuing purpose, which is really mm-hmm. why I do any of this. Um, and I like because some of statistically, most people won't actually be able and to sell out the stadiums. That might include us, you know. Like oh yeah. So I've and definitely most struggled. Of the thing, in fact, in addition, most of the things you try in your life, you'll fail at. Yeah, so you have to be okay with that. Be realize that when you fail, it's part of your journey. It's not yeah. like it's I'm not the end. I want to play pivot, these. Fucking... Try something else. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm Lots so excited. I just keep interrupting you. No, that that's all I want to say. <laughs> I was, you know, I've been so, I, especially when I first started, I felt like, you know, fuck you if you disagree with me. We are the fucking people. I am the storm incarnate, and I am on this linear trajectory to the arena. Get the fuck out of my way if you're in my way. And um, over the past year, uh, you know, one thing that's been really confusing for me is the closer that I get, the more that I can break down these lofty ambitions into um, these small steps that need to be taken along the way. Mm. I feel like I would be much quicker to get there or much more likely to get there if I presented myself as a more one-dimensional character version of myself. If Grandson was just new Rage Against the Machine or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. There's not a ton of room in that for me to make acoustic songs about relationships. There's not a ton of room in that for me to be a multifaceted person or question these um, movements that I ascribe to. You know that I do sometimes question. Um, you know, I I feel like the progressive movement is us against everybody. There is this broad um, like movement with which to prevent us from achieving our goals, which are really for everyone else's benefit. If we were to incorporate more versions of um, social infrastructure, 
into our life, the people that would most benefit from that are the very same people that are working tirelessly to make sure that doesn't happen, which is so counterintuitive to me. So in my mind, I'm like, it's for your good. I'm going to make this happen and force this down your throat. But then I question, um, like, if we can't find ways to, you know, make this a more broadly um, inclusive um, space, if we don't reach out across the aisle, um, will these things actually happen? You need these sorts of certain bipartisan support systems. So anyways, the point that I'm getting at is like there are all kinds of ways in which I question the very things that have gotten me here by being the the progressive rock and roll guy. And mm-hmm. on my way to these bigger venues and these broader audiences, the more di- distilled I am, the more I am a character of something – I feel like the, the, the more that people can latch on to that. But, so then I got to ask myself, well, how important is that arena to me if I'm not willing to compromise on these other things? If I don't want to feel like a one-dimensional mascot version of myself and I want to make room for all these different nuances and subtleties that are comprising my understanding of both myself and the world around me, what the fuck am I going to do? I think you can have both. I think you can, you can have a shtick but still have other subtleties and have other facets to your your mm. stuff. Stuff that maybe people won't notice at first who don't know you, but people right. who are truly your fans will get more into the the deeper things. And I don't think that it's a sh- it's not a shtick as in it's like this thing that I'm wearing for people to like. I really yeah. do believe in these things. I yeah, really yeah. do get fucking upset when I see the widespread corruption and ignorance that is squeeze. so obvious. Yeah, your it just gets focus. me fucking mad makes me want to make music uh, somebody joked with me recently about why why don't we make more happy songs and i'm like when i'm happy i'm living my life i'm at the yeah. beach or i'm like with the people that i love with my phone off half the time uh, hopefully so yeah. you know I, I do use music to make sense of all these things but it just gets a little confusing along the way of how much do i sell the dream to people and say hey together we're gonna reach our dreams can you also make room for that not to happen? I feel like that... For realism? Yeah, pragmatism in the midst of all that. I feel like that's been a really central theme that I keep coming back to in these conversations I've been having. It depends what you need. There's obviously a balance. Like, you have to believe that you can do something if you're going to do it, especially if it's something really difficult. You know, like, say you're trying to become a great basketball player. If you're out there on the court... Right, which I know you are. Uh, Every day, if you're out there on the court being like, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to hit this shot. You're probably gonna have a worse shot than if you're like, I can do this. You, you, you know, you gotta believe it, and then you can keep yourself on it, and you can keep feeling positive while you're doing it. There's a balance where you're you know, believing yourself too much, and you're just unrealistic. But mm-hmm. I feel like most people are balanced in the opposite way, where they need a little bit more belief in themselves. They're not believing in themselves too much to a fault. Mm-hmm. So when you tell people like, yeah, you can do it, it's usually good advice for them. I think in my experience. Absolutely. I, I see a lot more self-defeatism than I see of, like, over self-confidence. You know? And you know what? I know that you've toured around America a lot, as I mm-hmm. have in the past little while, and there are so many people that come to these shows that just don't have any other place for it. You know, I was always a hip-hop kid, and I didn't mm-hmm. see a lot of, like, you know, in, in alternative music and rock and roll, there's this longing for community. All, all the fan bases want to give themselves a nickname and want to organize around this identity of fandom. Like, I don't think yeah. Lil Pump's fans call themselves the, the Pumpkins or whatever. Like, I don't think <laughs> that. I don't think that a lot of like it, it, different genres of music. That's just not the same. I think there is a certain stand yeah. culture within you know, um, certain fan bases. But at the same time, I think that a huge part of um, what we do and our fans is that they might not have that in the places that you and I got it from your parents, from um, having these accepting, inclusive um, Mm -hmm. spaces. So I think it's fucking good for you for for giving a fuck and for trying to make that for other people. And I agree with you that most people could use the, the confidence boost instead of this, like, cynicism. Yeah, but also that's not the same as to me as just saying like, we can do it. Yeah, yeah, yes, we're cool. It's like I like uh, I li- always like music that was realistic or that talked about like you said the sadness of it. Like I always got healed by really sad music when I was sad. Like I listened to Elliot Smith and I would be like, oh, like I'm not the only one who feels sad. Like mm-hmm. he clearly does too, and so do all the people that listen to this. So like I'm not alone. 
You're so, not alone. Yeah, so I, I feel like uh, that's a big part of it too. Not just you know, not just kind of false uh, go get them attitude, but like being real. You know, be real with the kids. He's got a heart. I can feel it. I can yeah. feel. It. I can feel your heart. My hands on your heart right now. Still ticking. Still ticking. <sighs> we're gonna take a quick break here on Adobe Radio, and then we're gonna come back and talk about some other shit. We're fucking back. All right. Um, feels good. I had something back. else I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, it's been a minute, for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like my trajectory as an artist um, was much, much more predominantly focused in the studio. So I, when we started Grandson, I literally just didn't go outside for like six months. Me and my collaborator, Boone, who you've had the chance to meet I and have. kick it with. Great man. Yeah, the unicorn. Um, me, him, and my manager would just like coop up and just make a ton of demos, make a bunch of songs. Only when some of those songs started coming out, when they were starting to buzz online through um, some some key role people. How did people. that start? When when did you go from having zero buzz to having some? You How know what? Happen? It was actually kind of sucked. It was. It, I, I think that it's very difficult for me to keep perspective on. But so many people that have been doing this longer than me remind me of how quickly it happened mm-hmm. it certainly didn't feel that quick at the time because yeah. i didn't have very much money so i was feeling the pinch of like i need this to happen tomorrow um and it, i would say it happened over the course of like a year like a year and a half mm. where um i was signed to a label when we first started i had been signed in the previous project and i didn't get out of that deal when i reinvented myself as grandson i basically mm. just went we went to them and took a sabbatical leave i went to rca records and i said hey um I'm having a fucking identity crisis right now. Is it? We're going to just like take down all my social media. I'm going to work on a whole new project. We're going to come back. And they were just kind of like, yeah, whatever. So mm-hmm. I did that. Um, wrote all this new music. Kind of came up with the X's and the looking at the world through this lens of childhood me and struggling to transition into my 20s all this stuff all the, the beginnings of grandson it wasn't as political and it wasn't as heavy mm. um it was more like blues and like like hip-hop soul inspired mm. but anyways we came back and uh they were helpful like i think that we did get the first song on new music friday which like is just a huge thing yeah um and i think through that we were able to meet alice and hagendorf who's been one of the single biggest people that's responsible for my life changing in the way that it has in the last little while yeah um but even still, and then I think we got an opportunity. My manager knew someone who was working on that show, Shooter, and they were mm. looking for a theme song. And they asked me to, bless you, bless, I see you. Uh, <laughs> they were asking me to um, potentially try to pitch them a theme song. So I wrote, they said, just just write a song on the spot. And I wrote Bury Me Face Down, which is a song of mine that ended up being one of my more popular songs. Yeah. Then they were like, yeah, we're going to take this and use it for 15 seconds in season one, episode seven or something. Like, it, it totally missed the mark. But right. but the song came out, and that, too, started doing okay on, on, on these streaming platforms. And then I played a couple shows. I played this one show at a venue called Amplify. I don't know if you know that spot. It's no. on, I think, Melrose or Wilshire or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like a converted garage. It's like an 80-cap room. I When we hit the first note, of our first song of that set, there was one person there. There was one human being. And I had, you know, paid the band. We had been practicing. This was our big night. And I remember just being so fucking embarrassed um, and confused and doubtful. But then, sure enough, my sisters were in town. So they came and they brought a couple friends. But they had changed our set to a half hour earlier, like right before. So by the second song, there was now like 10 people there. And uh, I just remember having is a big difference. Huge exponential growth. <laughs> and I just remember feeling like, well, this is it. You know, this is the night that I have. I can either throw myself around and feel like this disgraced rock star, or I can be grateful that these ten people did spend the ten dollars to be here. They are here. They showed up to have a good time and just play for them. And I remember um, we just went so hard that night. And I jumped in the crowd and was moshing with all my my sisters and my friends and shit and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got off stage and the woman that, that was working the door said that that was her favorite show she had seen in like two or or three years doing it. And I almost like cried. I was just like, thank you. Anyways, fast forward and some random shit happened and now we're here. But, um, 
the whole reason I was telling this story was I feel like you guys have had a much more traditional path as far as being a band of of grinding yeah. it out on the road, of playing road a million dogs. shows, of, yeah. of finding your sound through these like confrontations with audiences, opening for a lot of bands. And I wanted to talk about your experience um, on the road, how that molded and shaped you, and how your sense of purpose came f- did it come from being in front of these kids because for me it was actually only after i had started taking on all this momentum and all these songs mm. coming out did i then go on my first tour a year or something later whereas for you guys i feel like you sh- maybe didn't start but a lot of that was on the road oh yeah it was definitely on the road we <laughs> we started touring and i even had a band before dreamers we did a whole u.s tour for two and a half months just no one knew who we are but we're just doing this tour anyways and we're playing like little bars and places sometimes there's people there just because they want to drink sometimes there's no one there at all we're just like one motorcycle guy in the back just like and we're playing and that's that's quite an experience sometimes i envy um artists who young artists who just like blow up on soundcloud and their first show is like a thousand people i'm like that's how you should do it <laughs> <laughs> don't do but, all this other but, shit. Yeah. it sucks but on the other hand like do you really we, feel that though uh, i'm not sure because on the other hand we got to play 100 200 shows before anyone was really watching us, so I feel like it took that long to, like, even become halfway decent at playing a show. I feel like I'm just getting good at playing shows, like, now, after a thousand. Um, So that's really important, and that's good that we had that sort of just boot camp uh, under our belts. But, yeah, it's a lot. I think we're, we're happy on the road. Me and Jacob and Nelson, who are in Dreamers, are happy to just live out on the road and it's exciting to us, and it's cool. We love to get to meet all the people and get to know the country. So if you if you don't like that, it's not for you. And I know a lot of people who do not like living on the road. They mm-hmm. want to be in one place, and I get that. But, yeah, you have to be out there a lot, and you have to just enjoy it because you're going to be out there. There's going to be shows where there's no one there, and you, dr- you just drove eight hours, and you set up all this equipment, and there's no one there, and you're like, what am I doing? Yeah. I Well, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I want to lean into that a little bit just because, like, I think a lot of people want a song bumping on radio like you guys have had in the past year and want all the cool shit you guys get to do now, work with all these cool people. Yeah. But they do get really discouraged by setting up in front of nobody or playing to that one condescending motorbiker <clears throat> guy in the back. Yeah. Um, and did you lean on that same self-determinism that made you make music in the first place was it the sense of like i've come too far now what the fuck else am i gonna do yeah i i i never made a plan b so just like we have to i I can have a very stubborn stick with itness too even to a fall i'll stick with something you know and and i found that that is really the only way to do stuff for me like i never had this crazy virtuosic talent i had to like stick with guitar to learn it i had to sit with it for five hours a day so kind of look at everything that way and uh, I don't know. It always felt like it was going in the right direction, at least. Like, the last show was one person. This one, there's two. So I guess that's better than going from one to zero. Do you think that and, um, yeah. if you had had a song like Die Happy, which did really well on radio and propelled you guys to do all these cool shows and these radio gigs for thousands of people, do you think if that happened at the beginning of your um, time making music, like, you would have been able to handle that or prepared to handle that? Or do you think that the way the trajectory your career has gone on where you found all this success a, a couple of years later after you guys had started that that actually made you better equipped yeah. to, to maintain that focus and that purpose as you're going through these motions of ego and excitement and all I think I was ready I was I was you know already in my late 20s when we started Dreamers so or when we you know signed came out with our first song like Sweet Disaster and stuff so I was ready and in other ways I wasn't ready like just not being that able to play shows well but uh i think emotionally i I expected everything to go way faster i thought i would be like 24 i'm a huge star like i'm selling out the arena (sighs) yeah you know like like you said i kind of just thought like yeah we're gonna hit it or not yeah instead of hit it or not and quit it was more like we're hitting it a little better than ever before and now we're getting this buzz we're getting this and like 
just keep throwing coal on this fire. It's it's still working. So yeah, so much of this shit is just being okay with the middle, with being like, mm-hmm. okay, this could have gone a lot worse, a lot better. I remember yeah. when we first started laying out the plan for Grandson. I'm pretty sure by 2019, the plan was to like already be in like uh, like these fucking amphitheaters or something, and yeah, just not there. You know, I we did this headline yeah. tour in the fall, and it was unbelievable. I feel so lucky to be able to play for like hundreds of people every night. Yeah. But we were we played a like a handful of shows on that tour that were just half full, you know, and these are these fifteen hundred cap rooms that I felt like we should be blowing through. Like we should be selling this shit out the day of the sale. And and it's it's even like that for huge bands. Like it's been like that for us. We we play tiny shows and then we played shows where there's ten thousand people, you know, different festivals and radio shows and stuff and like people know our music. We go to one city where there's like a ton of fans that love our song and then, then there's another city where no one's heard of you yet. Like we're we're just about to go to England. Uh, for the first our first England tour in April, and it's like yeah, totally back to square one. We're in a new country, we're opening up because no one knows who we are. It's like, and we and we've played with bands like You Me at Six, is an example, or the Arkells, who are from mm-hmm. Toronto. Shouts out, who are massive in their in their country, and then when they come here, it's like way smaller. Yeah, so they're like, it's a struggle it's just, to reconcile with your yeah, ego. No matter how big you are, you're gonna you're gonna always have that. Yeah, I, I was navigating that for a while in therapy. I was really having like a, a, a hard time with the volatility of my identity when it was so strapped to my sense of success. Yeah. Like on the shows where I killed it, I was like, I am killing it. And on the shows yeah. where grandson was not or there was a lot more work to be done in Houston, Texas, they just don't fuck with my music as hard as they do in Florida. It's just yeah, yeah. Fuck you guys! Like, come to my show, but they're entitled. I mean, I'm not blaming anybody, but in yeah. those shows where it is a little smaller, and oh, you got to do the smaller room, and shit does not feel good for my sense of self. And uh, I think that it's confusing because, in some ways, what we're here promoting is you have to just fucking go for it. You have to be it. You have to want it so bad and have no plan B. But then, in doing so, you might accidentally just latch yourself onto this narrative of being on the way in such a way that any speed bumps or obstacles which by the way i know that coming from two people that are doing it in a way that a lot of bands would want to are inevitable like Mm -hmm. nobody that i've talked to doesn't go through those those shows and those moments but still it's really hard to like separate that from yourself and not lose yourself and get all fucked up trying to make sense of it totally fucking sucks yeah but it's also fucking awesome Exactly. It's kind of bittersweet. I think you have to just love the process. Be like, I'm on a journey here. Yeah. Let's take a break on in the middle of our journey, and then let's come back. I, I want to talk about, like, did you have any mentors along the path um, oh, yeah. that stuck out to you and what kind of practical advice that you got that um, you think helped get you here? Massively. Yeah, I think... Uh, main reason I, I believe in my ability to do stuff is probably a lot of, like, honestly, from playing jazz in high school. We had a, a band director who just told us how to work hard, demanded that we did. And I felt like uh, I also had a private sax teacher I would study with. Um, just kind of realized by getting shown, like, oh, yeah, you can't do anything. You, you suck at playing this instrument. Well, if you put in these hours and you just work at it and then you can do it and then you get good at it. Just feeling what that feels is like, oh, you can do that with anything. You just practice a lot, put in your 10,000 hours or whatever it is, and then you're great at it. So I just kind of had that belief, I guess, from a young age. I see a lot of people be like, yeah, I tried playing piano, couldn't do it at all, I suck. I'm like, well, yeah, everyone sucks when they first try. <laughs> Even, you know, Jimi Hendrix sucked ass a guitar when he first picked one up. He just spent so many ungodly amount of hours obsessing over it. Yeah, and I think that in our culture today, like, you just get on your phone and you're just completely overwhelmed by examples of everyone younger than you, better than you. There's this expectation to have your identity figured out. You're supposed to be like, well, I'm a piano player now, so look how sick I am. But um, the process of of getting good is something that is very insular. It's lonely. Mm -hmm. You're just sitting alone with your fucking guitar being all sad, just practicing these scales or whatever the fuck. I don't even know. I suck at guitar, so I can't explain it. But... um, but yeah, I think that that's that's really confusing and um, and hopefully can be valuable for other people because yeah, not everyone had that music teacher you had and and yeah. I think that that's just the coolest part of 
the, the role we get to play in other people's lives is I can be just a vessel for the experiences I've had and the people that have believed in me and invested in me that I can then take that and try to use it and get somebody who didn't have that in their life to, to hear it. So, totally. so shouts out your sax teacher. For sure. Um, <laughs> what else do I for got? Life. Oh, I got some other questions for you. So um, at the time of filming, Heat Seeker just came out. Yes. Um, hopefully by the time this comes out, there will be some other shit that happens with that song. Indeed. Fuck, really? if it doesn't, I look like a fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to... I mean, but anyways, uh, so I wanted to talk about the, the song itself is yeah. going in a harder direction. I think that yeah. um, what's interesting to me is you guys have been grinding, you in particular, been doing this for fucking years. Then you start getting a little bit of love it, 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 with a particular genre. I feel like your album, um, your previous album, where songs like Die Happy were on it, there was a real consistent aesthetic to the production and the, and the sound. I think that in some ways your artwork and the visual aesthetic has mm. remained similar. Mm. But um, I'm curious, number one, if um, if the song is pushing an indicative of a shift in a, in a different direction for the band, and then also... Is that scary to reinvent yourself when you're just finally having some success? Like, don't, doesn't a little piece of you want to, like, we were just talking before we got on camera about, like, how do you know when the right time is to reinvent yourself yeah. relative to going across the world and playing these shows in London? Nobody knows who Dreamers is yet. Does a little part of you get scared of reinvention as, as a way that might, uh, re- returning back to what we were saying about being this, like, one-dimensional character that might do mm-hmm. better or something? Uh, actually... I was never scared of it. Actually, other people have asked me that recently, and uh, I never it never really occurred to me until they did. But uh, yeah, this this new album cycle that's starting to come out now with Heat Seeker uh, is definitely really different than the last album. Like I wrote that album, uh, Launch Fly Land, you know, in the wake of a big breakup, and I couldn't help but write about that a lot. It's kind of a big breakup album and a song, uh, an album about like, what is love. Mm. Uh, uh, and that was all really genuine. But after a point, like, I was kind of, I had worked through that. I was past it. And I couldn't really write about that anymore. It's just, like, kind of didn't feel honest. Uh, so it's definitely just kind of a natural progression of, like, what I'm thinking about and where I want to where I want to go. And the songs kind of start being different. Um, this album's a lot more about, like, philosophy, philosophy of life, how to live, uh, different topics relating to that, life and death. Um, but yeah, as far as like our image or our sound, like, I don't know, all my favorite artists were always changing and always evolving. Kind of like, I always got inspired by this one David Bowie interview where he's saying like, you got to go out to the water just to that point where your toes barely can't touch the bottom. That's when you'll find something interesting, you know, a little Mm. bit out of your comfort zone. A fucking snapping turtle biting your big toe off. Exactly. That could happen. (laughs) Um, but, uh. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I just I never felt like we were that tied to a specific sound necessarily, and just fuck it. Yeah, you know, you gotta you gotta change to be creatively inspired. So uh, follow it. Changes exactly. David yeah. Bowie's all about changes. Yeah, if you look at other other bands that I love, like Radiohead. Change constantly changing and getting bigger the whole time. Like Coldplay. Change constantly changing and growing so that seems like yeah the Beatles and I think that that's just important for a lot of like young musicians it's just so fucking scary and nobody gives a fuck about what you're doing and the little part of you is like why put in this effort but you're doing it because you have to Uh, anybody I know that's truly successful is would have been when you ask them what else they would do, they would just be a less successful version of themselves. But there's no like, yeah. oh, I would have been an architect or something. like, Because well, right. that shit just is a whole other thing. And that comes with its own problems. And sometimes I put these other versions of my life on a pedestal. Man, mm-hmm. if I was just with this person, if I was just in this relationship, or if I was just in this line of work, then I wouldn't be dealing with the shit that I'm dealing with now. The reality is I'd just be dealing with some other shit. Yeah, I feel like people have a certain amount of struggle in them, and no matter what you do, you're going to put that level of struggle into it. Mm. You know, if you had been an architect, you would be as ambitious about that career as you are about this career, don't you think? Like, I probably would have been. if I, I, I always grew up thinking I would have been a scientist. That's still possible like, for you, dude. I'd like to, uh, you know, 
I feel like you're I'd teaching like to have a, a science, full career of different weird things, albeit in a more didactic form of teaching, maybe yeah. a roundabout way. Of We're doing all it. The, I, I'm a, more like a fan of science. The way, the way people are fans of music, I like follow scientists and I like read up on the science, and I'm like, ooh, just for fun. Give us a science fact right now. Uh, on the, spot. the universe is mostly empty space. I, what does that mean? That doesn't inherently mean anything. It's just <laughs> true. It's just an objective fact. Uh, I choose I think not to believe that one. I think the most important the most important reason to be have a basic amount of science knowledge, just basic scientific literacy, just understanding the method, uh, which is all about being accountable to reality and objectively true. Saying something like, "I don't know the truth, but here's a theory, and here's some evidence that supports it. Here's another theory, some evidence that supports it." Still don't know. Do you apply that framework of um, belief to your? political and philosophical ideologies yeah absolutely um basically like basically just by not being a believer necessarily but being like i know that this is possible and i know that this is possible i don't necessarily believe that one is true and one is not true until like you know i have so much evidence that i can't really deny it Mm -hmm. i'm just like okay this one is probably more true so i'm gonna go with that for now but being always open-minded to being like you could be wrong and then later I might find out I'm wrong. I think that's that's kind of all it is, the, the scientific mindset. Hmm. Fascinating. Really fascinating. And what yeah. a brilliant segue for me to now talk about <laughs> our partnership with Headcount. Um, shouts out, Headcount. We are giving away one signed Gibson guitar by your boys here. Um, and all you have to do is text Voter XX to 40649 to sign up for Headcount's election alerts. Enter to win an Epiphone guitar signed by your boys. Um, register to vote. Today is a day where you and I will be voting in the uh, primary. We're recording this on Super Tuesday. And it's a Super Tuesday. What a Super it Tuesday it is. Are you um, having a Super Tuesday? So far I am. Yeah, my sister is coming to town for a couple of days. Huh. She gets here uh, in like an hour. And we have nice. a couple of days together, a little bit of home before I go on tour. I'm really fucking stoked about it. Beautiful. And I get to uh, get involved in the democratic process of democracy, yes. which is pretty sweet. Um, still got it. Still got democracy. Um, and one thing I wanted to ask you is uh, in this pivotal year uh, where there is so much going on, so much to care about, is there any one particular issue that um, motivates you to to use your platform for good? Is there any one issue that you th- that, that that propels you that pr- gives you your why? Yeah, I mean, right now, uh, if you're speaking politically, the only thing I really want to say about that is you should vote. We have democracy. Not everyone does. Most people in history haven't. Uh, so please just get out there and vote. I think most of the people watching this are young people, and if young people voted more. I think the country would be better. So just go do it. If we had a, say, a 95% turnout rate like Australia, I think the people would show what they really want and mm. we'd, have, we'd have better politics. So. Yeah, I think, that, I think that the system can be so dry, cumbersome, inefficient, on purpose, mm-hmm. to dissuade uh, people from giving a fuck, from participating um, the fact that it's not a holiday today to go vote. The fact that there is there, no there are real active voter suppressors who try yeah. to stop people from voting. Yeah, and then yeah. there's all kinds of gerrymandering, and especially in um, uh, places lower on the socioeconomic ladder, those mm-hmm. places are uh, deliberately um, weaponized as a way to dissuade those people from voting to keep in power. Uh, the, the powers that be. It's pretty fucked up. So let's break that by giving away guitars and and rocking yeah. the vote one one maladjusted team at a time. Yeah. So text voter XX to four zero six four nine right now. Do it. We'll wait. Do it. You're doing it. So Do proud it. of you. Um speak really quickly about the progressive movement. You shouldn't feel down about it. You shouldn't feel sad or scared because I feel like progress in this country has been pretty steady when you Mm -hmm. zoom out and you look at it yeah there's conservative forces always trying to resist change and that slows us down a lot but then over time progress always seems to get through and work and that's not always the case in every country or history like you can regress 
But uh, we haven't that much. I think yeah. It's been kind of a three steps forward, two steps back kind of thing. So I think far. you're right. And I, when this comes out in April, who the fuck knows what's going to be happening? Right. Literally, it's like in the past week uh, as things are moving so fast. I, I just feel like we're just watching it happen over and over again. And every generation, when, when I try to take the historical context of how similar this feels to the 60s and our parents mm-hmm. and the boomers when they were teenagers, college kids, they were getting all excited about um, promoting nonviolence, um, yeah. promoting social equality and um, civil rights. Civil Peace rights. As uh, soon Feminism. as that conversation started talking economics and redistribution of wealth, uh, it was it was at a, a march um, a, a f- supporting striking workers where Martin Luther King was assassinated. Mm. Once you start talking about real systemic change, uh, I just feel like that just gets fucking snuffed out. But that's not – I agree with you and, and I appreciate that perspective because I have been just getting a little down lately and it's been confusing for me to make yeah. these songs all about a change that I just get discouraged like might not be happening at the at the rate we want it, which is just yeah. indicative of our it's young slow, millennial slow, sense of entitlement gradual. anyways because we want this instant gratification. But you're right to be frustrated. I mean this country, the USA, is more conservative than any other country in the Western world. You know, you're from Canada. Mm-hmm. You can pick any other Western country, it's going to be a little bit more democratically socialist, a little bit more left than the United States. We're, we're definitely the farthest. And I just right. believe that um, if people remain, you know, if we remain in our kind of silos without interacting with one another, if I exclusively get my news through Reddit and everywhere I look is just, like, ignoring anything that um, is counter to our belief system and if the people uh, ideologically opposite of me are just going to stay watching fox news then they won't even notice that the change is happening if sometimes trump were to do a good thing or vice versa um and it's hard for me to believe in the sort of nonpartisan patriotism of like look this guy is our president for the next four years let's let's put on a good face like i would like to believe in an america where bernie sanders were to be elected and have an mm-hmm. opportunity to implement the kind of social change that would benefit people in such a dramatic way that it would really challenge their notions of what it means to be a democratic socialist or whatever the fuck. But just to do that, you need Rush Limbaugh and Bill O'Reilly and all these fucking people <laughs> to admit that, like, hey, this is actually a good thing that's happening, but instead it will just continue to be fear-mongering, distortion of evidence, uh, and, and removal of that reality, which our belief systems um we we want them we want our belief systems to be tethered to it's fucking hard first i'll say it's important to also acknowledge the other side uh and say like there is something to the conservative argument even though as a liberal i might disagree with it uh i think there's a balance you don't want complete redistribution of wealth there's a balance you don't want to stifle you don't want taxes so high that they stifle business but you also don't want them so low that we have tons of people living on the street and no one has health care and all this stuff, all the basic stuff that other countries have. So I think right now we're balanced too far on the right, so we do need a little more leftism. Uh, it just happens to be that way here. Uh, second, I'll say, I feel like usually in this country the conservative opinion comes around to certain key issues just later. You know, like they didn't want to pass civil rights in the 60s. 30 years later, every conservative agrees that it was the right thing to do. So I kind of feel like once these things get pushed through and people who fear the change or resistant to change get used to it, then they're like, okay, actually, that wasn't so bad. I feel like in the future, 30 years from now, that's how Americans will probably feel about universal health care. They'll be like, oh, this didn't destroy our chances at making business or making money. It actually just makes everyone healthier and makes country better. Yeah, I think that that, what a great way of putting that, and I appreciate you saying that. And it is really terrifying that, you know, one generation ago, like, when Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump were alive, we had two drinking fountains, one for people of color in this country, one for white people. You had places where you could go. Two generations ago, uh, my grandfather's generation was getting, like, murdered by the millions uh, as a Jew, 
like I know people whose yeah, grandfathers. Yeah, it's bad now. Yeah, yeah look, and it's just right around the corner. So yeah. I I think that you're right that that change does happen. It might take some time, but it it happens. It is happening. I fucking hope that it happens today and by the time this comes out. And whether or not it does, we just have to keep going and keep encouraging people to just get involved in the process and not depend on a win in seven minutes to validate that work. Um, but I, I, I'm saying that from, from a place of I certainly need that reminder once in a while. And I, yeah. too, just like anybody else, am questioning what I believe in and, and terrified that, that this shit isn't going to happen. But, man, thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, real quick, I know we have no time, but we didn't even touch on this song that we wrote together one day. Yeah. Uh, we had been on the books for a while. It kept getting delayed. We were going to have one producer. He didn't work out. We ended up finally mm-hmm. getting into a session together. And um, for two people like ourselves to come together with such clear ideologies and things that we might be expected to talk about and make this kind of beautiful song about letting go of um, of the things that might have antagonized you in the past because you're in a good place. I think that that's what that song means for me. The first verse speaks to a toxic relationship that I got out of that I now appreciate because it taught me so much about myself uh, and what I need out of a partner. And then the second verse speaks to leaving friend groups and platonic relationships that I had to leave behind, but being in a place of self-love and learning to love those people. That's something that I really haven't uh, had the the forum to, to, to use my music to talk about before making this song. Yeah. And I fucking love this song. It's so yeah, fun to I'm sing. I'm really glad we didn't write about politics. That's what I'm saying. So you could have done that. We we had just gone to the women's march together, and we we're like, I was like, I'm writing the grand summer. We're gonna write some political shit right now. And that was cool. I was like excited about. it. I was like, you want to write some political stuff? And you were like, No, I I kind of want to write like a breakup song like you. And you're like, and I was like, Am I like that? Oh yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> and I really do believe that and, one of the yeah. things that um, this this whole series, this XXY thing, I really do think it's tapping into a certain timelessness. Um, of just stripping it down to an acoustic guitar. And I, I was on a plane watching a documentary on Laurel Canyon in the 60s and the evolution of folk music and the community that was based mm. in Laurel Canyon. And I felt like we have these independent um, musicians in our alternative space uh, that, that do support one another and do fuck with one another, but there hasn't been nearly enough collaboration and it hasn't harkened back to that timelessness. That It is fully. always about like the most recent, most downloaded shit on Splice to be my snare tone and all these things. Yeah, and yeah. All, all that can be and dated. Seattle, Seattle, when I was a little kid, was like the Seattle grunge scene and all the bands knew each other and they all worked together and collabed and stuff. It was such a... Yeah, there's something Unified so exciting vibe. about people being oh, those two dudes work together or K Filet or bit whoever. Like that here and we, you know, yeah, you work with Christine K Filet. I wrote a song with her. There's a little bit of that kind of I going. Think we it's try happening. to foster I think it's coming. as much as we can. Like, yo, let's all work together because all these bands, these alt bands, they know each other. Yeah, you know? and I genuinely, uh, I, every time you know, I like, get a festival booked, I'm I'm looking for your guys' name so we get another right. another opportunity to hang and. Uh, I'm just I'm rooting for you and thank you so much for for taking your time and energy to make a song, and uh, and to come hang and, and talk about this shit. So uh, right thank you, you my friend. and uh, let's do it again sometime. I would love to. Put it there. That's a wrap. That's a wrap, guys. <laughs> Yo, everybody, it's over. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Yeah. <sighs>